this morning to two places, okay? St. Kings 22 and Galatians 4. And just have a message. I think it would be the Lord. If it's not, make me sit down. <laughs> um, what I wanted to share to, with you this morning is something that the Lord's been speaking to me um, for about three months. Uh, this, you know, since May, I feel like God's really been you know, dealing with my heart about a particular subject. And He's really confirmed it in just tremendous ways, many ways. And I'm not going to go into all of it, but it really has you know, got my attention about this particular subject. And, uh, and really the question that the Lord really asked me this summer was this, are you little enough for me to use you? And I think, you know, really what he's talking about is humility. And um, I think there's probably been a lot of great messages about humility been preached. I never preached. I've only preached one of the messages about humility in my whole life, and it was terrible because I guess I was too proud at the time. <laughs> and God was humbling me. God has a way of doing that. Uh, you know, when you're preaching a message about humility and he's humbling you right at that moment while you're doing it because it's so terrible of a message and everybody is hating it. Last week I preached, if some of you remember, about failure, about embracing failure. Well, as I was doing that, I was failing bad. That's the way I felt. I thought, this is terrible, Lord. Get me out of this, this mess I'm in here. Uh, God has a great sense of humor. I don't necessarily always appreciate it, but... Uh, <laughs> He does does like to mess with you, but um, this, you know, the Lord really has really been dealing with me about humility, and uh, I just want to share some of the few things that He's sh- He's shown me. Um, even though this microphone sounds like I'm in a well, and <clears throat> or I got a bad cold or something, but I really, really don't. But I, one of the things that I think one of the greatest attributes of God Himself is that God is a Father. You know, that's probably the greatest revelation there is about God, is that God is our Father. And um, the fact that He is our Father should inherently give us some understanding about who we are. Because a Father, if He is our Father, then we are His children, right? I mean, that's pretty no-brainer there. But Jesus' whole ministry, His whole ministry was aimed at leading people to the Father, he said this in John fourteen six. No one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus wasn't just trying to get people to heaven. He was trying to get, and he wants people to go to heaven. Trust me on that one. But he wants to get us to the Father. He wants to reveal the Father of God to us in the Father heart of God. And there's a lot of great ministry out there about the fatherhood of God. But I think there's less ministry about us that being God's children. I think we assume a lot, and, and that's really, um, you know, the angle that I feel like God has been speaking to me on. Let me just read a couple of verses. Matthew 18, verse 4. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, he who humbles himself as a little, everybody say little, little child. Mark 10, 15. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little, say little, little child will by no means enter it. So, uh, being little is sort of the, the descriptor. 
You know, are you little enough for God to use you? Are you small enough? Are you little enough? Not are you big enough, not have you learned enough, not do you, are you strong enough, but are you little enough? And it's really an opposite approach to what is taken in the natural. See, we in the natural want to become big and strong and learned and efficient and effective. And, but you know what? It doesn't work in the kingdom like that. It really doesn't. It's opposite. God wants us to become little. God wants us to become helpless. God wants us to become weak. That's the way the kingdom of God really works. It's not who's got the best plan or the best program or, or the most education. Um, now, in Second Kings is a story of a, of a guy named Josiah who was a king of Israel. And he sort of gives a picture of a child king. Okay, And I want to just like pull like two or three things out of his life I want to show you about what being little is. Okay? Are you following me? Now... Before I do that, I want to read this verse in, in Galatians 4, 6, because this is a verse, if you can see this by revelation, it's, it's very powerful, it's very impacting. Galatians 4, 6. It's a common verse, everybody knows it, but, you know, the Lord just, you know, opened the light on it just a little bit for me. I don't pretend to have great full revelation on it, but there's something that's real about this. If, you know, to ask God to speak it to your heart, it really can't impact you. It says, and, and because you are sons... God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Okay? God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Now, this is what I want you to see about that verse. We in our flesh are totally, absolutely incapable of being a child. Therefore, God has sent His Son, the Spirit of His Son, the Holy Spirit, into us. And the Holy Spirit takes it upon Himself to cry out the very thing that God requires of us. Are you seeing what I'm saying to you? You see, it's not me saying, Abba, Father, I want to humble myself. I want to be this. It's the Spirit of God in me who does this thing. It's the Spirit of God who produces, who accomplishes being a little child in me. So the burden is not upon us. Do you hear what I'm saying? The burden is not upon us to go and look at a guy like Josiah and figure out, oh, well, he was like this, he was like that, now I've got to become like that. No, the burden is not upon you. Our burden, our calling is to submit to the Spirit of God that's in us and allow the Spirit of God in us to accomplish these things in and through us. And if you can really see that, that it says it right there, it's so clear that He sent forth the Spirit of His Son. That the Spirit is the one who cries out, Abba, Father. You know, and Abba means Daddy. You know, it's a, it's a uh, in their Jewish uh, culture, it was a, a, a word that a little child would say to his Daddy. You know, it was a word of closeness, a word of relationship. You know, and when Jesus... Cried that when he cried out, Abba, Father, when he was was dying, when he was in the in the Garden of Gethsemane before he died, it was a shocking thing, you know, that he was becoming endeared to. He was showing how his relationship with the Father. Well, he is not requiring us on any level to try to carry this burden of being childlike. It's impossible. It's so freeing when you can see what I'm saying to you, that suddenly we know there's a spirit inside of us. The Spirit of His Son who takes it upon Himself 
to cry out, to make humility, to make childlikeness a part of our lives. And when I began to really just see that, I mean, it was like the Lord spoke it to me. You know, I didn't speak it to you. I mean, I, and I'm hoping God's speaking to you that this morning because it really will, all of a sudden, everything turned for me. All of a sudden, I saw it from God's perspective. I didn't see it from this old carnal mind. Oh, gosh, now I've got to be, I've got to act this way and act that way, and I've got to cultivate this in my life and cultivate that. No, He does it. He, I have to allow Him. I submit to Him. I believe Him and trust Him to do it, and He will do it. Amen? So what I want to share with you this morning is three things from Josiah's life. Three things that I believe the Holy Spirit, there are three like qualities of being childlike that the Holy Spirit wants to do in and through you. And let's give Him the responsibility to do it. The pressure is off on you to perform any of these. So let's just read. Paula, come up here real quick. Read for me. I like Paula's reading voice. Um, let's see. We're going to right here, Second Kings 22. Um, read down through verse 13. Yeah. Okay. Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jedidiah, was, well, anyway, the daughter of Adiah of Bozkath. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord and walked in all the ways of his father David. He did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. Now it came to pass in the 18th year of King Josiah that the king sent Shaphan, the scribe, the son of Azaliah, the son of Meshulam, to the house of the Lord, saying, Go up to Hilkiah the high priest, that he may count the money which has been brought into the house of the Lord, which the doorkeepers have gathered from the people. And let them deliver it into the hand of those doing the work, who are the overseers in the house of the Lord. Let them give it to those who are in the house of the Lord doing the work, to repair the damages of the house, to carpenters and builders and masons, and to buy timber and hewn stone to repair the house. However, there need be no accounting made with them of the money delivered into their hand, because they deal faithfully. Then Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan, and he read it. So Shaphan the scribe went to the king, bringing the, bringing the king word, saying, Your servants have gathered the money that was found in the house and have delivered it into the hand of those who do the work, who oversee the house of the Lord. Then Shaphan the scribe showed the king, saying, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. Now it happened when the king heard the words of the book of the law that he tore his clothes. Then the king commanded Hilkiah the priest, Ahikam the son of Shaphan, Achbor the son of Micaiah, Shaphan the scribe, and Isaiah a servant of the king, saying, Go, inquire of the Lord for me, for the people and for all Judah concerning the words of this book that have been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is aroused against us, because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to do according to all that is written concerning us. So uh, the reason I got Paula to do that is because she reads good. She's really smart. She knows how to pronounce all these names that I didn't really want to jump into. <laughs> but I didn't warn her. This, usually I warn her so she can sort of get it figured out. But, um, you know, the point is Josiah, listen to this, was eight years 
old when he became the king of Israel. He was an eight-year-old boy. Can you imagine if we had a president that was eight years old? That would be a disturbing thought, wouldn't it? Might be a good thought. I don't know. <laughs> so he was the boy who became the king. And that's why I picked him. Uh, well, actually, that's why you know, God really has been speaking to me about him. And this is the first thing I want you to see about Josiah. And this is the first thing I believe the Holy Spirit wants to do in every one of our lives. And this is a childlike quality, is the ability to overcome your past. Okay? The ability to overcome your past. I want you to look in, look back and say at Kings 21, and I want to read it in verse 9, and I want to tell you about Josiah's family. Because Josiah had a terrible family. He had an awful family. It says in, in 2 Kings chapter 21, verse 9, this is talking about Josiah's granddaddy, okay? But they paid no attention, and Manasseh seduced them to do more evil than the nations whom the Lord had destroyed before the children of Israel. Manasseh was the king. Did you hear what it said? He seduced them to do more evil than the nations whom the Lord had destroyed before the children. And the Lord spoke by his servants the prophet, saying, Because Manasseh, king of Judah, has done these abominations... He has acted more wickedly than all the Amorites who were before him and has also made Judah sin with his idols. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Behold, I am bringing such a calamity upon Jerusalem and Judah that those who, ever hear, who hears of it, both his ears will tingle. Listen, he was the worst, absolutely the worst king Israel ever had. Josiah's granddaddy. He was the worst. In fact, this, let me just read this to you. It's in 2 Kings 24. One of the main reasons Israel went into, this, there's a couple of reasons given in the Bible. One of them has to do with the Sabbath. Here's another one. It's because of Manasseh. When they, you know, when they fell to Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar, when they went into captivity for seven years. Surely, this is 2 Kings 24, verse 3 and 4. Surely at the commandment of the Lord this came upon Judah to remove them from his sight. Listen, because of the sins of Manasseh, according to all that he had done, and also because of the innocent blood that he had shed. For he had filled Jerusalem with innocent blood, which the Lord would not pardon. That was one of the big reasons Israel went into captivity, was because of the wickedness of this man Manasseh, who was Josiah's granddaddy. Now, look in Second Kings 21, let's read in verse 20. Now we're talking about his daddy. Okay? Verse 20, 2 Kings 21, And he did evil in the sight of the Lord as his father Manasseh had done. This is a guy named Ammon. Ammon. So he walked in all the ways that his father had walked and served the idols that his father had served and worshipped them. He forsook the Lord, the God of his fathers, and did not walk in the way of the Lord. That was his daddy. Okay? And then the Lord chooses this little boy, eight years old, but coming from the worst family that you can imagine... And the Lord chooses him to be the king, okay? And, and the, one of the first things that happens when they find the Scripture that they didn't have for, for years, and he read it, he, he ripped his clothes and was brokenhearted over the state of Israel. Now, here's the thing. Uh, he had the worst possible heritage. In other words, he had the worst possible background. See... Here's what God wants to say to people. You can come from the absolute worst family situation there is. Okay? That can be your heritage. You can be the outcast of outcast. You hear what I'm saying to you? You don't have to come from the best family. 
You can come from the worst family, like Josiah did. He came from the worst of the worst. Yet God chose him still. And see, what we've got to get in our hearts, if you have a good family heritage, that's a wonderful thing. That's a blessing from God. It's a gift to God. But it does not qualify you. It does not qualify you. You hear what I'm saying? What's more important to God than having a good family heritage is being little in your own eyes, is being childlike. That's what will bring you in to the kingdom of God. That's what will bring you into, the, into God. Now, let's take it beyond family. Let's just take it to your past. How many people in the church can never get over their past? How many people do you know that are still battling with something that happened when there was a child or, or something six months ago? They're hung up there. And I think, this is my honest opinion in talking to people, we're trying to fix ourselves. We're trying to fix something that was never meant to be fixed. You hear what I'm saying to you? It was meant to die. It's you, it's your flesh. We have left the cross in some ways and tried to psychoanalyze ourselves and psychobabble ourselves into being right. It won't work. You can talk yourself into being okay for a while. And I mean, that's the real answer to it is reckoning yourself dead in Christ and allowing the life of Christ to, to live through you and live in you. That's, that's what overcomes your past. And I think that's, that's the thing that God wants to do in our life. We can have a terrible teen years. We could have been the worst teen or teenagers they was. You know, have haunting thoughts. Whatever your thing is this morning, one of the qualities of childlikeness is being little. Okay? And not and being able to overcome your, your past. Now, listen to this. Let me just throw you out a couple of great examples in the Bible. One of them was, everybody uses this one, but it's such a good one, was Gideon. You know, Gideon delivered Israel with 300 men, delivered them of an army of tens of thousands with 300 guys. And, but when the Lord first approached Gideon to say, I want to use you, Gideon, to, to, to deliver this nation, this is what he said to the Lord. This is in Judges 6:15. Oh, my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest. Everybody say weakest. Let's learn how to rejoice in being weak. The weakest in Manasseh. And I am the least in my father's house. In other words, he was saying, God, we are the lowest level crowd there is. Our family is the smallest. It's the littlest. And I'm the littlest of my family. Yet God used him. And that's why God was able to use him. Because Gideon recognized his smallness. He wasn't like, yeah, I'm ready, you know, let's go get them, you know, puffed up, pull out the sword, you know, I'm prepared, I'm equipped, you know, God's going to do great things through me. You hear what I'm saying? And that's why what we've got to do, and it's hard for our natural mind to get around this, but we've got to embrace weakness. We've got to embrace it. That is what God has called us to. Paul said it, I've said it over and over, but Paul said it, it's when I'm weak then I'm strong because the power of Christ rests on me when I'm weak. All right, here's another great one. I like this. This is a personal one. Somebody gave me this word. I've had it two or three times over the years. In the book of, the, of Amos, there's a man named Amos. and uh, He was a prophet to the northern kingdom, and, and he was doing some prophesying, and he wasn't prophesying good stuff to them. He was telling them bad stuff that was going to happen. And the high priest, the religious guy, got after him, went and told the king, you know, Amos is stirring up trouble, and went and threatened him, told him to quit prophesying and leave. And this is what Amos... Am, Amos answered and said, I was no prophet, nor was I a son of a prophet. But I was a sheep breeder and a tender of sycamore fruit. That's all I was. I was just that. I wasn't claiming to be a prophet. I wasn't claiming to be anybody. My daddy wasn't a prophet. 
You see that? Yet God chose him and used him as a mouthpiece in Israel to declare the, the plans of God's heart. And God's looking for Amos. He's looking for people who can't say, I have a pedigree, or my family did this, or I've done that, my brother did this. You know, God doesn't care. That eliminates us. Your past doesn't matter to God, but being little in your own eyes is what matters to God. Being little in your own eyes. Your pedigree, your past, whatever it is you're dependent on or not dependent on. None of those things matter. Amen? That's the ability to overcome. That's the first one. The second thing that I saw in Josiah, uh, let's read verse 18 through 20. Now this, you know, there was a prophetess. There was a lady prophet. Again, last week one of my points was that God is not is gender blind. Okay? God doesn't care if you're a girl or a boy. He's used, remember the Samaritan woman? He used her to save the city. She was a woman. And, of course, the religious spirit wants to throw women out of the church. I mean, man, if you throw women out of the ministry in the church, the church would fall apart at this day and age. You know, because, you know, of, of religion, um, that would try to kill the church. That's one of the ways I feel like the religious spirit tries to destroy churches is by trying to keep the women by taking and perverting and twisting what the Scripture says. Um, and I think the Samaritan woman, the Lord used her to save that city. They led the, she led the whole city to Christ. Um, but there was another woman, I'm not going to read it, she was a, she was a prophetic girl. And uh, it says in verse 14, for y'all who don't believe in this, the prophetess, the wife of some guy, who I'm not going to get in a mess with his old name, but she had a word for the king. And it's in verse 18, is the word she had. She says, but as for the king of Judah, this is Josiah, but as for the king of Judah who sent you to inquire of the Lord, in this manner you shall speak to him. Thus says the Lord God of Israel concerning the words which you have heard. That was the word of God that was read. He tore his clothes. He was brokenhearted over, weeping over what he heard. And she's saying concerning this, uh, because your heart was tender. Everybody say tender. And you humbled yourself before the Lord, when you heard what I spoke against this place and against this inhabitant, that, that they would become a desolation and a curse, and you tore your clothes and wept before me, I also have heard you, says the Lord. So the second thing I believe the Lord wants to, a childlike quality the Lord wants to release into us is a tender heart. He wants us to be tender-hearted. He wants us, when we hear stuff that's, on God's heart, that it affects our heart. When we hear stuff that breaks God's heart, it would break our hearts. Tenderness. Um, you know, little kids, little children, not big children, but little children tend to forgive pretty easy. Isn't that right? They tend not to hold grudges. And what we need to do when our heart is hard... You know, we need to tell the Lord, my heart's hard. It's not tender. I'm not weeping before you. I'm not broken over whatever the situation is in my life. I don't feel broken in my life. I feel strong. I feel like I've got it together. I feel like I deserve stuff. You know, when you start feeling that way, I feel like I deserve this. I feel this. It's not right what has been done to me. When you feel that, break, ask God to break your heart. Because that's why this king, he didn't do any of these things wrong. He was a little boy. And he heard these things. 
and his heart was broken. That's the work of the Spirit in our lives. He wants us to be that way. Our flesh will be opposite. I'll admit that. My flesh says I deserve. My flesh says they're wrong and I'm right. So pray, God, break my heart. Break my heart, God. Don't let this hardness that is constantly growing on me, trying to attach itself to me, don't let it have its way in my life. Let me be tender-hearted. I want to be tender-hearted, God. I want to always... You know, one thing the Lord showed me, just you hear stuff, you know, something's wrong, and you immediately want to start blaming everybody and, you know, why this is wrong. And the Lord said, well, why don't you just ask me, maybe, Lord, we are wrong. Maybe I'm most wrong in this situation. You know, instead of your first response is to defend yourself and point your fingers at everybody else. Maybe, maybe the problem's me. I'm willing for it to be me, Lord. I'm willing for me to be the problem, Lord. I'm willing for you to tell me, Byron, you're the one that's wrong. You're the one that's out. It's not them, it's you. Break my heart where I'll feel that way. And if I'm not, then I'm daggone sure not going to be blasting everybody. I'm going to be, you know, interceding for them. Do you hear what I'm saying? This is what gets you in with God. This is the doorway into His kingdom. It's this kind of heart. It's not natural. It's spiritual. It's something the Holy Spirit does in us. The Spirit of His Son is crying out, Abba, Father, He's crying out, I will attend to heart in you. I will produce it in you if you'll let me. Do you hear what I'm saying to you? I will help you. That's why I'm here. You can't. That's what He says. You'll just be an idiot. The idiot of the week. It says, because you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard, when you heard what I spoke against this place and against this house, they would become a desolation and a curse. And you tore your clothes and wept before me. I have also heard you, says the Lord. Surely, therefore, I'll gather you to your fathers, and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace. That's what the Lord will do for you. And your eyes shall not see all the calamity which I will bring on this place. So they brought word to the king. That's powerful, isn't it? God will hear you. God will answer you. He'll help you when your heart's like that. Because it's Him in you doing it. I want to keep emphasizing that because I've spent years trying to work these kind of deals out. And I kept failing at them because I wasn't letting the Spirit of His Son that's in each one of us do what only He can do. But He will create a tender heart in you if you allow Him to. He will do that in you. He will help you overcome your past if you allow Him, if you will submit to His Lordship. Amen? All right, the third and last thing, praise the Lord, is let's, all right, let's turn to 1 Kings 13. I want to read this. Is it 1 Kings? Yeah. All right, here's, this is important, Okay. 1 Kings 13. Okay? 300 years. 300 years before Josiah was born. Okay? 300 years. 300 years ago. I'd put that boy about, you know, around 1703. Think about it. This is something that happened in 1703. That suddenly comes to, truth, comes to pass in the year 2003. Well, that was relatively for him. Let's read this little thing. First uh, Kings 13, verse 1. And it says, Behold, a man of God. This happened 300 years ago, before what I was just talking about to you, before Josiah's time, before Josiah was born. And behold, a man of God went from Judah to Bethel by the word of the Lord. 
And Jeroboam stood by the altar. And I'm not going to get into the Jeroboam, Rehoboam thing, but it's interesting how this happened. He stood by the altar to burn incense. Then he, being this unnamed prophet, cried out against the altar by the word of the Lord and said, O altar, O altar. This is crazy. He's prophesying to an altar. He's not even talking to a person. <laughs> Some crazy stuff, man. Thus saith the Lord. The Lord's talking to this altar. Man, it'd be bad if somebody came here. All right, let me just tell you this. I know this guy. This is sort of a sideline, but it is really, it's the truth. This guy's a reputable guy, a pastor, okay, over in Kannapolis. He was telling, at this pastor's meeting, telling jokes, pastor jokes, you know, and funny stories. He was at a funeral, okay? And fortunately, he was helping another guy do the funeral. But this man, older man, had died, and his wife was there and started prophesying. Okay? And this is what she was prophesying. She was prophesying like it was a dead guy speaking instead of God. You get what I'm saying? Thus says the Lord, I'm in a better place. The dead guy was saying that at the funeral. That's funny, isn't it? It's crazy. Do you get it? What? Thus says the Lord, you know, the Lord's got a message to speak at this funeral. The dead man, she was prophesying in the dead man's place, speaking for this dead guy. And it was so funny, you know, you know, the preachers were about to, you know, collapse. They thought it was so funny. They couldn't. You know, they had to act, you know, uh, you know, <laughs> act like Because this was the wife of the dead guy <laughs> doing this. So you see, it would be tough if you were the pastor. You would think it was very funny if you was a pastor. And you would not think it was funny at that moment trying to get through it. But I thought it was a pretty cool story. It's true. <laughs> Oh, anyway, so we got this guy prophesying to this altar, you know, saying stuff to an altar, so to a non-live thing. Thus saith the Lord, behold, listen to this, behold a child, Josiah by name. Three hundred years shall be born to the house of David. It was this eight-year-old king. And on you he shall sacrifice the priests of the high places who burn incense on you, and men's bones shall be burned on you. And if you go, and I'm not going to go in it, but if you go into the rest of the story of Josiah, that's exactly what he did. That's exactly what he did. He restored true worship to Israel. Now here's the point.